almost no one raises the real issue of tax avoidance, right? And of the rich just not paying their fair share. I mean, it feels like I'm at a firefighters conference and no one's allowed to speak about water. Today we walk into this house with an iconic South African plant, the Alu Ferox. We must take the bitter with the sweet. It is a matter that uh, uh, is under consideration. And all I would say is that watch this space. Welcome to this week's episode of the SA Money Report. This financial podcast is hosted by Deputy Editor Ahmed Arif. Nuclear. You know, anywhere else in the world that you bring it up, most people think of mushroom clouds over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, or people dying from radiation sickness while poison clouds pump out of a broken Chernobyl power station. In typical South African fashion, when you say nuclear here, we think of Jacob Zuma and corruption. So it was surprising when it emerged last week that the Itikwini municipality apparently wants to pursue nuclear as one of the ways it wants to live its single life after planning to divorce ESCOM in a couple of years, or so it thinks. Helping us to figure out why Durban wants to play with radioactivity is News 24's business climate future maestro, Lemise Umerji. Hello, Lemise. Hey, Ahmed. Okay, help us out with some context here. Right? Where did this idea of Itikwini pursuing nuclear power, uh, along with more coal power, come from and what exactly is this plan? Alright, so on the 13th of September, the South African Institute of Electric Engineers hosted a webinar on Itikwini's Independent Power Producer Procurement Program. That's how they framed it. And in this webinar, they had a representative from the municipality just unpacking what you said, they want to reduce their reliance on ESCOM for power um, in an effort to eliminate load shedding. And this isn't anything strange because other municipalities like the city of Cape Town are doing the same where they're trying to get power from independent producers um, instead of ESCOM so that their residents won't feel the effects of load shedding every time ESCOM can't supply power. Anyway, at this webinar, um, the city basically unpacked their plans to source about 2,600 megawatts of power from independent producers by the year 2035. The majority of this power would come from nuclear, about 940 megawatts, and fossil fuels, gas, and coal. It's a 324 billion plan, but the city um, recognizes that they can't afford it and they would have to rely heavily on private investment. There was some allocations for renewables, but the issue is the majority of the power would come from nuclear, coal and gas. The city has a separate roadmap for its power needs, what it actually needs to happen. How does this new kind of plan fit into all of that? Yes, so in 2020, Itaquini had issued a draft integrated resources plan. Uh, we have an integrated resources plan on a national level um, and this maps out which energy generation technologies the country is going to use for power like coal, nuclear, gas, solar PV um, and how much of each technology they will use to meet the country's energy needs. 
So this is that massive plan, but on a municipal scale for Itikwini. Um, and this plan was very ambitious about going big on renewables. And Itikwini said that they want to have 100% renewables by 2050. Well, the power supply to be 100% renewables by 2050. And um, ironically, it rules out nuclear and gas because of the costs associated with these technologies. And I also think with gas, um, there were concerns about it being a fossil fuel that would uh, impact its ability to go 100% renewable. And the plan also um, indicates they want to reduce dependence on coal. And one of the analysts I had spoken to for my story actually pointed out that, yeah, this draft IRP and the procurement plan that was presented do not align. And I think that's where the confusion comes in. Um, and when I asked Itikwini about their plans to procure nuclear, um, they said that they had adopted an energy transition policy and that does not have nuclear power anywhere in it. That was, that was the exact words. Let me nuclear procurement uh, has a bit of a recent controversial history here in South Africa. Can you give us a bit of a rundown about about what happened previously, uh, especially about nuclear? Do you have all day? <laughs> um, yeah, so during Jacob Zuma's administration, um, there were plans to push for a 9.6 gigawatt nuclear Pro build program. So before I go on, I just want us to reflect on this number, 9.6 gigawatts, um, and our existing nuclear power station, Kuburg, which has a capacity of just, it's close to 2 gigawatts, so it's 1.9 gigawatts or so. So this new program would be massive, um, and it would also require massive public investment. Uh, to get off the ground. And so according to the Betrayal of the Promise report by a group of academics which kind of tried to connect the dots in the country state capture projects because this is where the nuclear project finds itself, um, the Guptas were going to benefit from this nuclear deal because they had acquired a uranium mine at a time when it didn't make sense to be investing in uranium. Um, and, but these academics um, pointed out that the people involved were thinking ahead and knew that the uranium uh, would be, be used for the proposed nuclear plant. Um, and I would encourage any of the readers to go back on that report, The Betrayal of the Promise, which unpacks the whole state capture project. Um, so coming to the closer to where we are today, the State Capture Commission report also just sheds more light on this nuclear program and shows that based on the evidence that came before it, um, former Finance Minister Nkhlankla Nene had lost his job um, because this was the, you'd say, the final thing that caused him to lose his job because this is an expenditure he did not want the country to approve. There were many other things, uh, but I think this was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. Just because it was so unaffordable, because it's a massive program. And then, I think this was about 2015, because what happened the next day is there was a whole fallout in the financial market and the RAND depreciated significantly. 
but the resistance to nuclear didn't end there, um, thankfully, because these environmental groups, you could say non-profits, Earth Life Africa and the Southern African Faith Communities Environment Institute, um, had lodged a, a legal challenge to block this nuclear deal and, they, and the, the court found in their favor because at, up until that point, all the procurement processes, the court said, was unlawful. And yeah, I think that's how you could say it, it sort of links back to Jacob Zuma's administration. And the fight, I guess, is still continuing today to keep that 9.6 gigawatt dream alive, but maybe in a different form. So, so on that, uh, and circling back to Jacob Zuma, the, the ANC faction that's aligned to Zuma is basically in charge of KZN now. So, so have analysts linked the recent developments in Itaquini and, and the leadership change in the ANC with the sudden renewed interest in nuclear? Yeah, well, the people I spoke to, there was some suspicion <laughs> about where this is coming from, what is the real motive behind nuclear, um, if it's so much cheaper and quicker to get renewables online as an energy source. Um, and I think, yeah, everyone is still a bit traumatized by that 9.6 gigawatt uh, nuclear p- uh, plan. And I think it, it just makes sense to immediately link it up to um, the radical, was it radical economic transformation? Yeah, radical economic transformation. Yeah, so everyone is still traumatized by that 9.6 gigawatt nuclear program. So I guess it was easy for them just to link um, the dots or the connection with the radical economic transformation faction of the ANC. Um, but yeah, at this point it's suspicion and I don't think anyone is going to come out and say, yes, this is what, <laughs> this is our plan. Um, yeah. So let me, you have reached out to the ANC and you mentioned that you also spoke to Itikwini about all of this. Do we have any clarity about what's going on or are things just even murkier now? I think it's a confusing mess, to be honest. Um, I, I reached out to the ANC spokespeople for KZN, and when I did talk to them, they were a little confused and almost sounded unaware <laughs> of this presentation and said, you know, they need to go find out information before they can get back to me. Um, and, you know, up until now, I haven't received any info from them. Um, but uh, funnily, and I'm not saying they were communicating with the Itikwini municipality, but uh, on, on the same day I had sent requests to the ANC, the Itikwini municipality also got back to me. And their response was a little more confusing because they seemed to distance themselves from the presentation that was delivered. Um, and And they, I guess, for them, they, they didn't address all of my questions either. Um, I had asked them questions about coal and they, they literally just focused on saying, no, nuclear is not on their plans. And, and when I had asked about, you know, the context in which the presentation was linked and, and I also said, you know, I'm a bit confused because this is what the presentation uh, was about and it included nuclear, I still didn't get any responses. So I'm not sure what's happening over there. <laughs> So let, let, let's move on to talk about nuclear itself, right? Obviously, one of the biggest worries is safety. 
like I mentioned, it's hard not to think of Chernobyl or Fukushima or Three Mile Island or something like that when something happens to a nuclear power plant. Is, is the Durban coast the right place to have a nuclear power plant? Yeah, that's a very good question. And one of the analysts I spoke to, well, two of them actually, um, had mentioned, you know, this area has just experienced devastating floods which damaged infrastructure. I mean, we've all seen the footage of the damaged roads. So it's just incredibly risky to have a nuclear plant which can wreak so much, you know, damage, like as, as was seen with Fukushima. To put that in an area which is probably prone to floods is not a good idea. Um, the damage will will just be, I don't know, I don't think anything we can fathom. Um, and yeah, I. the thing that wasn't clear in the presentation is whether the plant will actually be in uh, Itikwini or KwaZulu-Natal or, you know, maybe it might be set up or in another place and then the power wield um, to the municipality but then again they have to um, consider the cost of wheeling that energy from from wherever the nuclear plant is to the municipality and yeah I, I don't think it would be ideal at all um, from an environmental perspective. The The good thing is that we do have a national nuclear regulator and they're pretty forceful um, in terms of uh, applying standards and making sure that standards are met. Um, we see it now with ESCOM trying to extend the life of, of Kuburgs. ESCOM had to submit a whole lot of documents to prove that it's safe. Um, so I guess we can rest in the fact that they are regulators who make sure that it's safe before we can go ahead with such a massive um, risky project. Lastly, Lamiz. What it all boils down to is getting power onto the grid quickly, right? Quickly, efficiently, and cheaply. Is nuclear really a good solution for our current energy problems? Not just in Itikwini, but South Africa on the whole? So, arguably, um, nuclear is reliable. Um, you hear ESCOM say that all the time, which is why they want to extend the life of Kuburg. Um, but it's very costly to build a new plant, which is why I, I, I think even government, even though it's still in the integrated resources plan um, to, to possibly have nuclear, government hasn't come out right saying, yes, we're going to go ahead because the financials that go with it is just, um, we, we need to be sure we can afford it really, because it can be a big risk to our fiscus. And that was the issue again with that 9.6 gigawatt plan and why Nene was pushing against it. It would, it would have implications for our debt levels um, and, and whatnot. Nuclear has been classified as a renewable energy resource um, because it's got zero emissions. Um, uh, well, this is the case in the EU. Um, nuclear and gas are considered green. Um, but Greenpeace has now actually launched a legal process to challenge this uh, classification by the EU and they again raise concerns about the environmental risks linked to nuclear like how you can dispose radioactive waste um, and also the risk of nuclear accidents. And I think with our country and the energy crisis we're facing immediately 
um, it seems like it will take a very long time to, you know, green light a nuclear project firstly and then to build it takes even longer. Um, whereas now we have renewable energy technologies like solar PV and wind which um, are proven to be more cost effective and can come online within 18 to 24 months which is what we need now. We need energy now um, as opposed to in 10 years time if, if a nuclear plant is to be built. Um, notwithstanding all the other regulatory things that must happen before that. Thank you for your time, Lumis. Thanks for having me. This brings our show to an end. The music in this episode is courtesy of Getty Images and Epidemic Sound. This week's installment was produced with the help of News24's multimedia prodigy, Kayleen Morgan. Thank you for listening.